Hi everybody, my guest today is Tom Longworth. Tom is a fellow lefty guitarist. He's 40 years old and from Birmingham. Tom's done a whole load of stuff in his career, a lot of session work, and since 2012 has been the guitarist for Robbie Williams. Hi Tom. Hello. How, How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. I'm very good. Good. Uh, thanks for coming on doing this, man. Uh, you know, fellow lefties are hard to come by. And we've just established actually in the lead up to this that we're virtually the same age as well. And we've both turned 40 recently. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm not in the in the exact place I was expecting to be when I was 40, but I could be in worse positions. Yeah, it's a funny one, isn't it? I was thinking exactly the same. Um, not exactly where I thought my life would be at 40, but hey, we're both here chatting and we're going to have a good time. So listen, man, I want to, you know, I see some guitars behind you. Can we talk about those? Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. What have you got? Anything, anything in particular? Um, what That looks like some Gibson headstocks there. Indeed. Yeah, we can go from left to right if you want. We got. So the first one to pick up out the rack here is the Gibson... 335 or 335 as some people reference it as i see guitars being left-handed guitars as like car parking spaces in, in if you go to london you're like there's a car parking space get it quick you know exactly and you're not really you have to look for them all the time you can't just go oh i fancy a les paul and then there's one because they just don't they're not there so you kind of always look in and then if you see when you go oh I don't, I haven't got any money or I don't need that, but I'm going to get it. It's sort of thing. It's a weird, yeah. it's a completely different way of looking at buying guitars to me. How long um, have you owned that one for? This I bought in 2014, I think 15. Was it um, new when you bought it? No, 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 no. This is, but it, well, this is, this is a great story behind this one because this is a 2011. No, sorry. No, it's not. No, that's a complete lie. That's the other guitar. This is a, 2001 which was a really good year for gibson so it was in that kind of pink case era you know yeah. the inside of the cases were like pink yes and blue they had the two pink and blue um so it was just coming to the end of that good era for gibson um and this came up on ebay and i was like oh, okay that looks really nice and it wasn't too far it's just just into wales i'm in birmingham so it's, it wasn't too far like 40 minute drive went to just over the border into Wales, I went in. It's this old guy's house, and it would, it'd been in the loft. He'd bought it, you know, 2001 or whatever, and it hadn't been played really at all, I don't think. Wow. And he was just like, oh, and all the strings were like mega, mega rusty and old. Yeah. The yeah. guitar had, didn't have a scratch on it, and it still had the plastic on the oh, man. Pit, pit guard. And I just played it. I couldn't play it because it was just like set up badly and it was all rusty. And I just kind of went, yeah, I'll take this one. <laughs> I can't, I can't play it. It's completely rusty. But I knew it was, I knew it would be great. And I took oh. it. And it, I don't know if you can see the flame on it. It's really, I don't know if it picks up. It does just about. But it's really, really, really nice flame. I've seen so many of them and I'm like, gosh, the flame on mine is really nice. Oh man, I'm so, so jealous. But yeah, I kind of wanted one ever since watching Back to the Future when I was a kid. Yeah, of course. That's it. I play guitar. But it's not, that wasn't the 335. That was the, or was it? Yeah. Um, no, it was, a, it was a 335. But the the thing is, they, because that was set in 1955, 
it was actually factually wrong because yeah, the, that, that they didn't come out until 57 or something like that, did yeah. they? So, um, it was like 59, yeah, whatever it was. Great, man. Yeah, it, it, it didn't exist at the time of the film, but it, it had the block inlays and it, yeah. it had the different sort of selector and stuff on it. But it's, you know, in, in this, this vein, I've always wanted one of these. Yeah, I kind of use this, you know, kind of like a blues jazz thing. Yeah. Or more, more, more jazz blues, you know. <laughs> Spinal Tap quote, if anybody missed that. Um, yeah, I, actually, I actually watched it two nights ago. It never gets old, does it? Um, yeah. Do you know what we're going to do? We're going to come back to more of your guitars a little bit later, but I think what yeah. we'll do now is we're going to go, we're going to go back Um not quite to 1955, but I want to talk about the uh, your early years, man. So where did it all start? When did you first start playing? I want to know who, you know, who were your heroes? What made you pick it up? Um, and what was your first guitar? That sort of thing. Ah, well, basically, I was about 10 years old and I started getting into, I've always been into music since I was about five. You know, I was listening to like, um, I loved Michael Jackson, all that kind of stuff. But back then, you didn't really know. It was just the sound. You know, it wasn't, oh, there's a guitar and a bass and drums. It was just this noise. And I just knew I liked this noise. And as I progressed, I kind of got into Def Leppard and Guns N' Roses and stuff like that. Um, and then Nirvana and things. And I just like, obviously, the film, the Back to the Future film and stuff. It's like, okay, I really want a guitar. Um, when I was 11, just kind of imagining, you know, like the 335 or the, the Les Pauls, you know, you just kind of looked at them and fascinated. And um, I got a Fender acoustic guitar for my 11th birthday. I was like really amazed that I got a guitar, but it was just not the guitar I was looking for at all. Really. Sure. Like, you know, it's something inside you going, I've got to learn this now in yeah. order to progress onto the electric. I've got it exactly. here actually. Yeah, but they're the, they're the best ones to have, aren't they? Because they're the ones, like I've said in previous interviews with people, they're the ones that you learn your craft on. They're the ones that you bust your fingers on, knowing that yeah. one day you will own that Les Paul or that 335. Yeah, I mean, so th th this is actually it, the Fender. See, that's great, man. It looks like a nice guitar. In... Yeah, it isn't too bad. I haven't played this in like seven years, so there you go. It's out of tune, but Beautiful. yeah, you kind of... You know, you kind of learn and it's fine. And it was, it was brilliant, you know. And then I kind of got to like school and there was like the school rock bands were there and there was like the fifth years were, had the rock band and I turned up in the first year and I went to music lesson. I was like, yeah, I can play guitar. And all of the teachers were like, you need to be in the school rock band. And I'm like, but they're massive. And they're like, they, they just pushed me into the school rock band and they all just looked at me and went, what's he doing here? He's like, you know, 11 and we're 15. Um, were you self-taught or did you have lessons? I did have lessons, yeah. Um, from when I was 11, I used to go to this place in um, Hall Green, actually in Birmingham. And I don't know if I should tell that story. No, I won't tell that story. Anyway, I was taught, it was this house, it's really weird. There was a, a residential house which had been sort of converted into this guitar tutorial business. It's really weird. And there was like, the, the, in the kitchen was the reception. And then there was the front living room was the, the one guy teaching. Upstairs, there was a couple of bedrooms with another couple of guys. And um, I had the one guy for a year or two. 
so I felt like, you know, just literally I was learning to read, sight read and play, you know. Um, and I, I absolutely hated it, to be honest with you. I really didn't like it. I was like, this is not what I signed up for. for. What you sort know, of stuff it, were you learning? Was it very much old school type stuff? Yeah, it was just, it was literally just learning to read and just play single notes. Yeah. I hadn't even started really playing chords or anything like this. It's more that classical style thing of yeah. learning to read and all that kind of stuff. I didn't really enjoy it. And then he, he unfortunately passed away. And then I got moved down to, to the other fella downstairs in the front living room. <laughs> and I, was with, I was with him for about, uh, doesn't seem very long, maybe four months or something. But he, he had the electric guitar. He had a 335. And I was like, this is better. And he was had backing tracks. He was doing like, I was playing like the Dire Straits, stuff like this. And I was getting more into the riffs <laughs> and grooves. And then unfortunately, he passed away. I see a pattern imagine here. And then, the, then, then they said, well, is it possible for you to go to the third guy? And I said, no, <laughs> I don't no, I wouldn't wish that dying. upon him. <laughs> I wouldn't wish that upon him. So I didn't go to the third guy. <laughs> I moved on. And I went out from there and I went to, I don't know if you remember Ronnie Scott's in Birmingham. You know, it was, it was a great jazz club back in the 90s and stuff. Mm. It's, you know, really bustling. And there was a jazz musician there who, um, who, taught on the weekends in, in the dressing room of Ronnie Scott's and I had lessons there for probably from when I was like 12 to about 16, I guess. Yeah. Okay. It's funny, isn't it? With the, it's a, it's a funny one with the luck of the draw with your teachers when you're learning to play guitar, because my, when I first started having lessons, I thought it would be very much like how you've just explained your first teachers were, where it's kind of like older guys teaching you a lot of theory saying this is a guitar blah blah you know i just i don't know at the time when i when i first i was seven years old but when i turned up for my first lesson i just imagined it to be some old old dude i was really lucky though in that i had a teacher called mick reeves uh who lived in luton and he was the yeah. most like he opened the door and he was like he had like a mod haircut and it went into his teaching room and he had like pictures of the who and Jimi hendrix and i was like right wow like what is all this about you know what i mean like kind yeah. of show me the ways and and he was amazing you know but sometimes it takes you a few starts to find the right the right person who can sort of start to steer you down the track that you want to go down you know what i mean yeah yeah i mean with, with the guy the the, the the ronnie scott's he i mean I, I still use licks he showed me from when, when i was like 14 i don't right. it's like really weird i'm like i play stuff and i'm like oh that, that that's what i learned from steve you know his name was steve steve layton um yeah and I, I remember like him teaching all these it was really weird he taught loads of different styles to me and i didn't quite understand it at the time i was like what's this and what, what's the point of this it's only later on in life i kind of went oh okay bluegrass okay i need to record some kind of bluegrass style oh i know some of that because it's just it was just there it was in there yeah yeah i, I do occasionally i do put I occasionally use a few of the licks that i learned then the school band thing was that like your first experience of playing in a band and how did that work out yeah it was yeah it was it was pretty fun um but obviously after that first year all those guys left so sure we kind of there was a different band emerged it kind of went a bit more synth pop after that i can't remember the songs we used to do there's a keyboard player and things it, you know i just went i went through that but by the time i got to 13 the school band thing wasn't really a, a thing that i was doing i, I was having 
bands externally. Right. Uh, so tell me, tell me more about the bands that you started playing with outside of school. Um, like when I was about 13, it was like my first proper band called Arizona Circus. I've still got the tapes somewhere, you know, it's like I listened to him and it was really awful, but it's such a brilliant learning curve and all that kind of stuff. And that kind of went on 13, 14. And then I joined a band. It was kind of a bit strange, but I joined this band called Size Nine. And the lead singer, the, the main songwriter was a lot older. You know, I was like, say, 16. And he was like, I don't know, I imagine he's like late 20s or so. Well, he probably seemed like he was in his 40s to me, but he's probably like late 20s or something. And I felt really young in the band, but um, it was around the time of the Ocean Colour Scene sort of thing. Yeah. In Birmingham, all that, uh, the Ocean Colour Scene were a huge band then. And um, there was a big, you know, obviously a big a big scene in Birmingham <coughs> with all, all those kind of bands. And it, it was kind of in, in with that kind of group. And I just from there, it was just like meeting people, meeting people. You know, it's a big bustling scene, playing loads of gigs. And, um, and then, yeah, from there, I started my own band for, in college with a few guys I met there. And then I joined a band called Alaska when I was 18, I think, 18 or 19, which... Um, which from there I was in I was in that band for ten years then I think it was ten years kind of we we were one of the the sort of best unsigned bands in Birmingham type thing at the time you know um, there was there was a lot of them it was a really good scene um, and we we went out to America with that band um, Atlantic Records took us out there and we did a few things out there in America back two thousand one nice. um, yeah we did we did loads of really cool stuff but we never made it basically. Sure. We were just too lazy, too lazy as a band. I, I do look back and go, we were far too lazy. I think yeah. we kind of spent too much time taking drugs, I think. <laughs> yeah, it was one of them. You're like, if we didn't take so many drugs and drink so much, we probably we could really get a lot of stuff insane. done here, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, I did that. I did that for, you know, 10 years up until, um, up until I started the session work, really. So, yeah, yeah so let's segue into that then the, you know the move from from going into the bands how did you start to pick up the session stuff and and what was the point where you thought uh you know this is good i'm sort of managing to scrape a living here kind of thing yeah i mean i i got into the session world through carl brazil who was um the drummer in my band in the kind of early 2000s and we'd, we'd played in a few local bands together he went on to play with james blunt and he you know sure. he's always been a session player since he was you know born yeah one of these guys he's just he's just amazing musician plays with everyone and you know he was doing the original bands and also session work and stuff and he was just doing everything but he started to do really well in the session world um and he kept going to me tom you know cook, cook, you know i want you to come and do this and that and i'm like i've got a job i can't just up and leave i've got the band and stuff um, and he, he was just always doing stuff and I was kind of just knew what was going on. That, that's how I met Malcolm sure. originally. Um, Malcolm, all these different people, started to hear of people. And then the one day he was like, right, I'm playing with Natalie and Brulia, Um and she needs a completely new band. She hasn't got a band and I really want you to do it. And it, and it was at the time where the band I was in, um, it was kind of coming to an end. It was just everyone was, you know, had enough of it basically um and i was getting a bit disillusioned with the band and i was in a bit of a dead-end job working in an office and i was like right that's the perfect time now to 
step in. So I was just really lucky to have met people along my musical journey who had done well for themselves as well. And, you know, it's a bit of an inroad in there, you know. It's not what you know, it's who you know. So, yeah. And yeah, I kind of went into that and I did that for a while, a year or two. And I was like, okay, I'm making a bit of money. This is great. <clears throat> and then it kind of got a bit quiet. And I was like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do now? I'm kind of, things have gone quiet. I don't understand. I'd never had a job where it were like that. It really perplexed me for quite a while where I'd get, you know, a sum of money where I was like, okay, I've got some money there, but then I might have three months, four months where I'm not doing anything. I'm exactly. Got no money. Yeah. I was so used to having this, you know, a regular job and every month you've got a set amount of money. Sure. Completely different way of working for me. And I was just a bit confused and I was like, shit, I got no money. Um, but then I kind of went a little bit into the kind of, um, what do you call it? Like wedding band sort of thing. The yeah, function bands, that sort of thing. Function yeah. cover bands, yeah. yeah. All that kind of stuff I got into um, through, it was Jamie Little actually put me up for a few gigs. If you know Jamie Little, drummer. I don't think I do. He's a great drummer. He's from okay. Birmingham. I can't think who he plays with off the top of my head. But yeah, he kind of put me, he put me forward for a few gigs there, which, which really helped me out for this year. But um, the whole year I was doing just function gigs and I was like, great, you know, I'm earning a bit of money, brilliant. But then in retrospect, I kind of looked back at that and I went, that was a massive learning thing because I had to learn so many songs so quickly all the time and loads of different styles and genres. It really, really broadened my kind of guitar playing yeah. and yeah, being able to go, right, you know, we need to play this style of song or that style of song. So I was kind of stuck in one genre a bit, sure. like rock sort of style. Then all of a sudden I was, I'd kind of really progressed with um, being able to learn songs quickly. Yeah. Um, I found really, really helped as I went on, you know, in after that, cause it wasn't long after that, that I got the call to play in Rob's band, you know, the Robbie Williams band. So let's talk about that. I mean, that must've been, um, that must've been quite an exciting opportunity uh, and what was the deal? Who did he have in his band before and who did you take over from? How did all that work? Um, I took I took over from Neil Taylor, who'd been in his band for like 10 years. That's and right. I remember. Yeah, I know who you're talking about now. Yeah. He'd been with him a long he's, time, right? He's, he's, a, he's an amazing guitar player. He's played with, um, you know, he played with Tears for Fears and he's played with like Tina Turner, all yeah. these different people. And he played with Natalie and Brulia as well. He was he was a classic. Um, yeah, he played with Rob for ten years. He's an amazing guitar player, and, he, and I was really surprised myself that okay, he's not in the band. I mean, it was kind of a new. I think Robert had a bit of a time off and a bit of a break, and he wanted this freshness to the band, and he wanted yeah. a new band sort of thing. And he'd already got Carl fairly recently, and his MD was Beardy at the time, and yeah, he wanted a bit of a, a shift, a shift up in the band. And so, what year was this that you joined Robbie Williams? Two. 2012. Okay. Um, what was the first gig with him? Um, and where uh, was it? Do you remember? Yeah, I'll tell you, yeah. <laughs> I feel there's a story here. Oh God. Yes. It was in. <laughs> it was in Cancun. Okay. Nice. It was. It was Philip Green's daughter's 21st birthday party. Oh, okay. So it was like a corporate type thing. It was a corporate gig, but there, it was in Cancun, Mexico, on this, in this big resort. And we get to the hotel and it's this amazing, crazy hotel. 
and it's this like week long so oh weekend i guess it's three days long party you know and the people performing there were um uh the beach boys were playing what uh, a morning or what or however many of them there are left yeah um bruno mars uh michael buble um uh who else was performing I think Mariah Carey. Oh, I don't know. I can't remember, to be honest with you. But there's loads of crazy guests as well. So yeah, really, so it, it wasn't much different from, um, you know, your function band days. You're just doing another yeah. function, right? It was exactly the same. Exactly the same. But <laughs> just with a few played, more quid. We, we played the, the, the exact same songs. But yeah. <laughs> we played Angels and Let Me Entertain You. So it was fun. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, the, the, the very first gig was in the audience was the main thing. So my first gig, okay, Tom, this is your big, and it wasn't actually, I was in the band at that point. It, it was actually my audition. Right. Said, right, come over to LA, do some rehearsal, do this one gig, and then, you know, if it goes well, you're in the band sort of thing. So in the audience was, was um, uh, Matt Bellamy from Muse, oh. uh, um, Stevie Wonder, Ronnie Woods was in the audience. Oh my God. Um, uh, then you had like people like Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Moss and all these kind of people were just basically sat there and um, Coldplay, uh, Chris Martin, you know, all these kind of people were just there yeah, yeah. watching this show amongst others. It was great. And then the, I, I loved it. I think I kind of thrived off that. I think, I think it was a good, it was a good thing to happen. Yeah. But afterwards the great story was cause we, so we saw Stevie Wonder was like just there. Right. And um he was having a drink, you know, Stevie was having a few drinks. And um, I'm just looking at Stevie Wonder going, this is mentor. I'm like, stood here in this, you know, in the middle of Mexico somewhere. God knows where I am. Stevie Wonder's there. And on the way out, he came out and we bumped into Stevie. And um, it was actually our RMD, Paul Beard, was like, I'm a massive Stevie Wonder fan. You know, he's a massive influence on me. So he went, he went to say hello. And he said... Um, Oh, it's, it's really nice to meet you. And he was like, he, he holds your hand, Stevie. He's like getting the vibe from your hands, you know. Sure. He's going, it's really lovely to meet you. And it's like, you know, you, you are a massive influence on me and all this kind of stuff. And he goes, that's, that's great, man. Yeah, cool. He said, um, oh, is it possible for you to tell Robbie that my, my favorite tune of his is I want you back. I want you back for good. <laughs> it was like, yeah, I'll tell him. <laughs> so Stevie Wonder's favorite Rob Williams song is Back for Good. So that was it then. You were in at that point. So where did you go from there? Uh, what was the first tour that you did? What are all your memories of doing all the big stuff? Well, we did. We did a very, we, he did a, um, a, a mini tour. It was going back to the uh, to venues he played on his very first tour. So we went to like, a, now a lot of them were like academies, whereas right. originally like we went to Barrowlands and... Oh, so it was the smaller uh, venues. Great. Yeah, so we did like 2000. It wasn't that the... Uh, you know, the popularity of the group was waning. Right. It was a more selective audience. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that old chestnut, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, it was absolutely fine. It was just like a little tiny tour and it was just sweat pouring off the walls and we just went out without any brass, without any B. I I don't even think we had BVs. Maybe we had one or two. But it was just really, really like rock and roll show. We just played as all the old tracks off his first record and stuff. So it's a lot more indie rock sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, they, they were mental, yeah, they were really good. Um, we did that in say like the summer of 2012. 
And then we went straight into, after that, to the O2. Okay. I don't know if you've seen the In The Round gig that you did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which was pretty rock and roll as well. But In The Round, and that went um, for three nights at the O2. And it went, the last night went live out on Sky One. And they don't tell you, so you walk on and say, oh, by the way, it's been, you know, it's been, uh, it's a live stream to... Yeah. You told me before. You yeah, or you could have told me when I was coming off. You know, what I mean, I would have rather have <laughs> known later. <laughs> yeah, told me coming off. <laughs> yeah, so it was um, that that was that was absolutely amazing. Um, but the funny story about that, yeah, that it was because we we got the brass section in for that. Okay. So the brass section, um, Beard of the MD, he knew those from um, another tour he did. He might have done it with like Cheryl Crow, maybe I think. And he met these guys, but they'd actually supported Rob on his huge tour that he did back in 2006 or whatever it was, the huge tour. Um, and that they were in Basement Jacks. Right. Um, and they, they joined Rob's band. They were really, really excited. We had load of rehearsals, you know, for three weeks, a month, whatever it was, two months. Really amazing rehearsals, you know, all this brass stuff. We <laughs> turned up at the O2 and it's this round stage, you know. They're like, right, where do you want us? And they're like, we well, under the stage there. <laughs> they were like, what? Yeah, you just stand under the stage there. It's fine. He's just oh, in their face. No. The, but they had, they had, in certain songs, they'd come up and walk around and stuff. Okay. You know, that's part of the choreography. But yeah, for the first couple of tracks, when they came out, it's a big thing. It's like they were under the stage. <laughs> oh, <laughs> wow. God bless yeah. them. And they didn't know until yeah. they got there. Yeah. They should have told them after. Right? <laughs> <laughs> after the gig. Oh, by the way, you're under the stage. Yeah, by the way, you should have been under the stage. Yeah, what were you doing up there? <laughs> um, yeah. So where did it go from there? What was your, basically, like the, the following years after that, what was your schedule like and how often did you tour? And and um, give, me, give me some of the examples of things you did. Um, we kind of progressed up from that to what did we do after that? So after that album, pretty yeah, that that was the Take the Crown album. So oh yeah, because that that was the O2 stuff, and then that was the November, and then he basically announced a stadium tour. Right. So we did um, a whole of it's basically a European stadium tour. I don't think we went. Did we go to Australia? Perhaps we did. I can't remember to be honest, but um, yeah, we did like a huge. We did four nights at Wembley, I think. Okay. Four, five, and it was just just ridiculously huge. You know, this massive, massive, massive stage show, um, which is which is really really good. Now that went all the way around Europe and kind of ended up in Bratislava somewhere. You know, it's one of their ones. You don't know where you are. It's just it just goes off. Yeah. And you're off, and that's it. And every night it just it just melds into one. I haven't got a clue where I am. I'm just sure. Yeah, I'll play. I'm in Norway. Great, let's go. Yeah. So uh, our mutual friend that we've mentioned, Malcolm Moore. So there I was a few years ago. We were we were in town. We were having a pint, um, and we were talking about me and Mal were talking about flight cases. For some reason, we got into the subject of flight cases. He loves a flight case. Malcolm. He does. Oh, he loves a flight case, that lad. Um, but anyway, we're talking about it. And he, was, and he said, oh, yeah, I just, I just got some new flight cases. I was like, oh, cool. Uh, what would you get? And I, he explained to me what they were. I was like, all right. 
And then he stopped and I thought, hmm. I said, Mal, like, what's the flight case for then? He goes, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm doing some gigs um, abroad. It's like, right. It's like, Mal, <laughs> who you do the gigs with? And he said, Robbie Williams. He said, yeah, it's a mix of some corporate bits and stuff like that. So about, I'm going to say about a month later, it was the summer of 2000 and it was when we had that heat wave and yeah. the World Cup was on. So the World Cup, I was at home and I remember putting the World Cup opening ceremony on and I'm watching it. And there I see my friend, our friend, Malcolm Moore and your good self at the opening of the World Cup. I mean, what was that like? That was, I mean, I said the O2 was, you know, the gig to remember and all this kind of stuff. This, it wasn't a gig. It was weird. It was just, but you can't even, it's like, um, just crazy. You know, going to Russia to do the opening of the World Cup was just, because at that point, I mean, your audience is it's, it's stratospheric, isn't it, really? The, the, the amount of people that will be watching the World Cup yeah. opening ceremony is, yeah. a, is a completely global event. Yeah. yeah. And, and there you guys were. So how did it yeah. work? I mean, because he, you know, obviously I text him literally as you guys were just coming off. I was like, oh, now I know what you need your flight cases for, you know. And he texts me saying, yeah, sorry, couldn't really say very much about it. Was it a matter of turning up? Did you rehearse the whole thing? Um, well, no, we, 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 we weren't playing live. No. We, we, we were miming, but we were miming to our... To Your own tracks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't the record. It was, no. it was tracks from a live gig we'd done. So, you know, essentially it was, was live. But, yeah. um, but he was singing live. He had to go and do loads of rehearsals. He went down, Rob, with the, there was an opera singer came out and all this kind of stuff. He did loads and loads of rehearsals, which he, you know, he does admit himself, he doesn't like rehearsing. He, he just likes going on stage and just doing his thing. He had to rehearse for this. It was like part of right. the thing of, got to go and do it. And he came out and all of us were just miming, just kind of, we just looking around, just kind of going, what on earth is going on? All this stuff going on around, all these yeah, dances right. and the whole thing and the crowd and the... So we don't have to do anything. We're just standing there, you know, just trying to look cool. And he's at, and he sings the best I've ever heard him sing. I'm like, this is, this, you know, he sang really well on that on that show. It's because he was there for three days rehearsing it. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he did all the hard work, and we just turned up. Just turned up and but, didn't um, even have to play live yeah, on the day. That, well, with that gig, cause we 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 came out. Say if the like pitches like this, we 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 came out the the tunnel here and the stage in the middle and the like Rob came on from here like this. And after the show, all the band went like this out of the place and the camera's still here on Rob. Um, but in the UK, they cut to a break. The ITV cut to a break, so they didn't do Rock DJ. Whereas right. the rest of the world carried on with Rock DJ. That's remember the bit where he put his middle finger up? That's right, there. yeah. That wasn't on the telly in England. Right, okay. But the rest of the world did so it was a bit confusing for some people but what i had to do for rock dj was i'm in the middle everyone runs off i had to run this way all the way to the goal whilst they drag because they they take off all that stuff on the pitch it's it's an actual sheet you know of yeah pitches and whatever and they, they 
it's like a military operation. All these guys dragging this stuff off so the pitch is clear. And I had to run off before they started doing this. And I'm over by the goal. Rob's still singing here, rock DJ. And then it's coming towards the guitar solo. So I've got to get all the way down here, then all the way down here and get to them just in time for the guitar solo section at the end. So I'm jumping down. And then I, so I'm just, <laughs> join it. it's just Rob and some dancers and me. And I've just got the guitar doing this guitar solo. And I, I've got some pictures of it. It's really cool. But we were you out of breath at that point though? I was just like, what am I doing? It's just really weird. <laughs> but you, but you, you would have had to rehearse that, right? They would have had to say to you, your marker is here. You've then got to go down there because of all the camera angles and all that. I, I, I rehearsed it once, yeah. Okay. On the, on maybe on the day, I can't remember. Okay. But it might be the day before, actually. I think we did the day before. But yeah, it was, it was, it was a, a real quick rehearsal for that. You know, yeah, I can run over there. That's fine. Yeah, yeah exactly. Easy. I'll, 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 I've got a good time and I'll be there. For, I'll be there, don't worry. And I was there. But the funny thing is, like after, everyone went off into the tunnel. So it's literally like, you know, 10 feet into the tunnel. But for some reason, they said to me, you've got to run back to where you came from, which is now, like, you know, all the way back over here. So, so by this point, there's no one on the pitch. And everyone's gone. So I'm the only person on the pitch. <laughs> and I have to run with a guitar dressed like, I don't know what I'm dressed like some kind of rock and roll Dracula or something, running across, the, in, you know, the full crowd. So I'm the only person on the pitch with all the crowd and everything. What? And I was just like, this is so weird. And then I've got a friend called um, Dion Dublin. Don't know if you know Dion. He's the Name rings a bell, player. yeah. Oh, yeah, He's yeah. Just, like, he does homes under the armor and all that stuff. Yeah. Well. Dion. And he was commentating there. Then he filmed me running across the pitch. So I've got, <laughs> I've got a video of this World Cup pitch is just me and a guitar running across it. Oh, it's, amazing. Yeah. It's, it was, that, that was weird. That, that was really weird. Yeah, man. See, I, I'm not, I didn't sign up for that either. I didn't sign up for running across a football pitch. You know, the well, World Cup. Listen, it could oh, have been worse. You could have been, you know, like the brass section and you could have been under the, under the stage, you know? Yeah, so. at least I was in the shot, you know. Right. Helps, you know, the nine times out of 10, you're not in the shot. <laughs> No, exactly. So when was the um, when was the last time you guys uh, went out? Was it last year you were doing stuff? Um, we went out. Not it wouldn't have been we last did, year. We did, we, did a Chris, we did a Christmas album, two thousand and nineteen, leading into twenty twenty. Right. Okay. So we were finished for Christmas, two thousand nineteen, to do. We'd also done shows in Vegas, all of. 2019 before the christmas stuff we'd done two residencies there um which was again a completely different thing and amazing i keep forgetting these things I'm like, oh. <laughs> yeah I've only, i forgot i played vegas how, so how long were they how long were the residencies for uh two weeks <clears throat> okay a couple of weeks at a time maybe three shows a week three six yeah we did about seven or eight shows maybe yeah about two and a half weeks three weeks each and we did we did one like 2019 back in like sort of March time. And then we did one in the summer, about June, July. See, that must be great, man, because you're just in the same place. You're staying whatever digs you've got and you just stroll into the gig each day yeah. and you're in you Vegas. It was my favorite. Cause the one thing I, I always say to myself, right, I'm not getting paid for the gigs. The gigs are free. It's the traveling. Uh, yeah. And, and the rehearsing. I'm not a big fan of going into rehearsal. Yeah. Check. 
So the gig's free, right? Yeah. You can, you can, that's that's what I'm lived to do. But all the other stuff around it, that's what I'm getting paid for. Yeah. Vegas, right, we got there and it was like, right, we're not going to stay in the hotel because the hotel's too expensive and this, that, the other. Let's just get, it'd be cheaper to get um, an Airbnb. And when you say Airbnb, it's not like a flat or anything. This is like a mini mansion. Right. We get like, you know, so we can get six of us in that one, six of us in the other one and, you know, that kind of stuff. We'll, you know, everyone just gets a couple of cars at the house and we can just drive in and out, commute every day into the gig. Yeah. And, and you know, everyone's just, you know, you can just stock up the fridge of beer and food and have your own room for two weeks. And that was like the best thing ever. I bet. Like, it's the way to do it. It's so good. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. Every day, just bowling. All the gear set up. You don't have to do sound checks. It's the same as the night before. Exactly. And then afterwards, you're like, I could just go back to my pad if I want. You know, I've got my room and a beer in the fridge or I can go out up the strip and go to a bar you know that kind of thing so oh, that man. was like the best thing ever i can imagine i can imagine that was so much fun man um let's move uh on to gear how many when you're out with rob how many guitars do you take out what do you take out um it's a good question actually i think i have hang on let me count one two three four five six seven i might i think i have about eight maybe nine okay and no, it's not loads but primarily are you what are you using uh different ones for obviously other than different tones is there any different tunings is there any sort of strange stuff in yeah. there yeah i mean if i could i'd use i would use the same guitar yeah for every song really unless it warranted something different but it's it's capos and tunings with rob yeah like the one song is like capo two the next song is you know uh, in d flat e flat or something so it's yeah, there's a lot of tunings. Um, but then obviously, you know, things like, yeah, you know, I use the, the, the SG is like the main sort of thing I'd use, really, which is nice. That's the main guitar. And then the Les Paul kind of sort of just copies that and I just switch with, you know, it depends. Okay, I can't use that because I've just used it with Capo 2. So I'll have to use the Les Paul, you know, so just sure. whichever way the set works, I have to maybe swap them around depending. And then the three, the three, three, five, I use for like the jazzier tunes or. Great. And which one of those guitars did you run around the uh, football pitch in Russia with? Was it any of those? I took yeah, I took this actually. The there it is. The um, Bill Nash Telecaster. Very nice. It's run I the equivalent of half a marathon around a Russian football pitch. Yeah, but I took this because it's probably the one I've released. Like you know, I, I wasn't too upset about it again i think we had to fly them out you know yeah yeah on the plane or something so i don't really like taking stuff out that's you know I, I, you have to put it through the conveyor belt thing i don't really like doing that so yeah you seem very much um uh, a man after my own taste in terms of les pauls and marshalls and uh bare knuckle pickups is that right yes yes they've all got bare knuckles in as far as i'm aware so what do you use? Because uh, tell me, tell me some of the models because I love them too. The the bare knuckle models. Yeah, which ones do you have in your guitars? Do you uh, know? The three three five has Stormy Mondays in. Okay, I haven't tried those. What are they like? Um, to be honest with you, they're really good. Great. But I don't think I even tried the original pickups in that guitar. Right. I think I took it straight to my tech at the time and went here's this guitar and I, you know, I don't think I've plugged it in to 
be able to kind of reference what it was like before. But um, yeah, it's a really, really sweet tone, just really nice, beautiful, you know. I just kind of trust, I I trust, I don't really question it too much with with Tim. No, I know. Uh, And that's what I've said on here before is that literally every time I've needed a set of pickups, I've just gone to them and said, this is a guitar I've got. This is the sort of thing I'm after. They've sent me them. I've put them in and they've, I've never questioned it. Yeah, I've never been... really kind of. I've, the only one I remember is because the SG I've had since nineteen ninety-eight. It's a ninety-seven. I got it in ninety-eight for my eighteenth birthday, um, so it's pretty old now, and it's, right. it's been with me since then. And but I only changed the pickups in like two thousand and twelve or whatever. Whenever I joined Rob's band, I think that's when I started to change them over. So I had so I really t- I could tell the difference as soon as I put the bare knuckles in that. I went, oh, I can hear the guitar now. It was yeah. like, oh. It just completely changed the tone of it. It was just, you know, the, the nuances I could yeah. play it soft and loud, and it's just this beautiful, yeah. this beautiful thing. And people don't realize how much the pickup is a really, really vital part of the guitar. So much. And really again, awesome. it's something I, I always sort of bleat on about on here. Is, and that goes back to when I got an Epiphone Les Paul when I was a kid, and it squealed like crazy when it went onto a high gain setting on the amp changed the back pickup to at the time it was a seymour duncan uh duncan distortion and it was it just changed the guitar and that's why even yeah even now and i'm repeating myself for people who have seen other videos but i can't i can't uh tell people enough how important it is to get a decent set of pickups in a guitar regardless of the value you know what i mean because it just yeah, it changes really matter, yeah. no and and like like we've been saying they are all so good you know i've got yeah. them in a telly i've got them in strats i've got them in various les pools and you know all the models are great man and they're such a great bunch of guys and i've known tim for a long long time hoping to get him on here actually for a chat about the history of it all yeah. because they're they are a great british company you know yeah they're really good i've never really questioned it i can't even remember how i got onto them but um yeah the, the sg was the first one that that's got riffraffs in it yep which has just got that bite you know that of kind course of bite and then the les paul i went for What's the what's the the one that's like the is it mules the, the mules yeah, yeah yeah I went for that and I'm kind of a I wished I'd gone that's on that I wished I'd gone for a mix of riffraff and mule now right I kind of want a bit more of a bite on I can't remember which one probably the bridge um, but yeah, I kind of feel like I want a riffraff in there because it's quite a full big you know sort of tone I kind of fancied a bit more bite on that now but yeah I've got the the mules in there and then the strat it's got the uh, the Rory Gallagher ones, Irish tools. Irish tools. That's what I've got in my strat. Yeah, yeah, yeah really and nice. they're brilliant, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. I noticed a massive difference in there as well. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah. I mean, mine, my, my in fact, the Irish tools I've got are in a Mexican strat that I bought, and they they just sound. I mean, compared to the the pickups that were in a Mexican strat, yeah. you know. My God, they were just, they bought the whole, yeah. again, just bought the whole thing to life, you know, absolutely incredible. Um, yeah, so I, I haven't changed anything apart Then the only one that the Bill Nash has still got the originals in because they're um, another great guy in America, though. But yeah, like if you're talking about original guitars and not changing the pickups, I've got an Ibanez 1976 Les Paul copy. Have you? Which was actually my first electric guitar. Okay. I haven't got it here, but. Um, that i've never changed the pickups in that because it has this this sound which 
Of course. Can't really, can't I describe mean, the sound. It's really weird. Bizarrely, and on the flip side of this, I just did a I just did a video with my my nineteen seventy six Fender Strat, which when I got when I was a kid, I ch- I changed the bridge pickup to a Seymour Duncan Hot Rails, which is like the most ridiculous high game pickup. Which at the time I thought this sounds amazing, but now I really wish I would have left that. And I don't even have the pickup. I've, yeah. The pickup, the original pickups, long gone. The other two are the originals, but it's funny the things that you do. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, let's talk about amps, man, because you're a uh, you you use Marshall, is that right? Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, what do you take out with you at the moment? What's the current amps of choice well, that you use? I mean, it's changing all the time. At the minute, unfortunately, the amp of choice is the Kemper. Of course. Which I, you know, it's a bit like, uh, but it's really versatile. It's great, and because we were doing loads of things, like you know, we're flying out to america then we're coming back and doing gigs in london we played like hyde park just after vegas and stuff i just you know i get a usb stick put up bring on a play and put, plug it in and then it's exactly the same and yeah you know it kind of really worked for that being able to go from you know a situation to another situation really easily yes um but before that we were mixing we we're mixing the two together i was using the kemper and amps i, I still do always have an amp on stage um just a monitor it's always a marshall cab on stage and that's a live cab yeah i always have that on and i do have it mic'd up so okay. if anyone wants the, the the real sort of cab put in they can yeah um but yeah, I, used, I used to run like back in the days when we we're doing those o2 shows and the take the crown stadium tour that was all that was all marshall's um uh marshall 2204 jcm 850 watt head that's the one yeah and, um i was running at the same time as the vintage modern yeah yeah i love that amp, yeah i might have seen you demo that no not me that guy had the guy who demoed that had hair yeah that guy was far younger and had, had more hair than me <laughs> couldn't have been me but he was no, left-handed I, but that's purely coincidental <laughs> But yeah, the interesting thing is I've always I've I've, I've always used Marshalls ever since I've realised how they work and what exactly they do. But for years I was using a Fender combo, and you kind of think, yeah, hey, I'm using a Fender. But what I was doing was um, adding constantly on pedal the um, Marshall Blues Breaker, the original yeah. one. Yeah. yeah. So this was the, yes. the pedal that I always had that was on to into the Fender amp. Okay. You know, so I was like, oh, hang on a minute. I'm a fan, I'm a Marshall guy, right? <laughs> and then yeah, there's the governor. So, yeah. So yeah, I used to love that because you could get that real, a really nice Marshall tone, but just with a quieter, you know, quieter amp for a pub sort of thing. Yeah, I haven't seen a Les Paul yet. Come on. Oh yeah, this is probably the see because the the SG is ninety seven, which is a really really good year for Gibson. Um, and the, the color of that is like beautiful. Yeah, man. Since, since day one, it was brand new. Yeah. You know, and I've got all the, the war marks on it and stuff. Yeah, and nice. Symbol hits and all this kind of <laughs> stuff. And yeah, I was playing Hyde Park and that happened because the Black Eyed Peas did something to it. I was trying to find out how that happened. But, you know, big. How on earth did the Black Eyed Peas end up damaging underneath the, oh, the third know. fret? 
they were, I don't know. This, this you wait until I see them black eyed peas now. I got on stage, I'm on, I'm on Hyde Park playing, and I'm going, what's that? It's weird. Bit of a weird. Can I just oh, ask, Is were the Black Eyed Peas on the stage with you or did they do it by telekinesis? They, they, they beamed in via, you know. I knew it. I knew futuristic it. Futuristic pod and just damaged that guitar. Just Those guys are unbelievable yeah. what they can achieve. I don't even know what, I don't know why they were playing the same gig as we were, but <laughs> they, they damaged my guitar and I was going, this is terrible. What's going on? But I actually loved it because it was like, you know. Black Eyed Peas did that. Like the fact that as long as I could play it still. Yeah, exactly. You know, a, little, a few little stories along the way. Exactly. See, so that, that's a beautiful guitar. And the 335 is 2001. So that's like in the same era. And that's really good. This I bought because it's like the only one I've ever seen that was in my price range at the time. Okay. It's, it's a 2011, which isn't the best year. What is it? A, standard? It's a R58. Okay. No, V58. Okay. The vintage, the vintage. Yeah. Okay. You, it's got that nice fade on it as well. Yeah. I don't, what do you call them? Is it R58 or V58? But it's the vintage. You know, they have the 59. Yeah. But the 59s, they made a like a real quite high quality version of them. But it's sure. Like four or five grand or something. This is about you know 1,300 sort of sure, price sure. range, and it's not. It's not amazing. Amazing, but. It's a, it's a nice, you know. Like yeah, nice. yeah, of course. I, yeah, I, I sound like I'm moaning Paul. about a Les Paul. It's weird, isn't it? <laughs> God, Les Paul don't like it. A left-hander moaning about a Les Paul. What has the world come to? But yeah, it's got the big, the big baseball neck sort of. Yeah. Thing, which I'm not actually a massive fan of the, the big necks. I prefer the SGs, the three, three, five. Yeah. Thing, but you know, it's got a nice tone. So I've used it loads recently, um, recording. Oh yeah, the one thing I've started a band, which is great. It's good to mention. Nice. Join a virtual band because we haven't seen each other ever. Like, okay. In the, la in the last year, we um, yeah, we started a band with uh, me, Car Brazil. I've always wanted to get a band together, like a rock band, sort of, you know, in the vein of the '90s alt rock, like um, Soundgarden, nice you know, Audio Slave, Rage Against yeah. the Machine, you know, yeah. Smashing Pumpkins, whoever these these kind of '90s bands. And we've got an amazing singer from Birmingham. Dave Taylor and a, a bass player friend of ours, Ray Love Rock, and we've started doing that and I've been writing at home and we've just been doing it over WhatsApp, like, you know, messaging ideas and things and I'm just doing a little bit of demo stuff at home and we've great. pretty much written a whole album, which is great. So great. That's something to, look, something to look forward to. It's been keeping me going to be honest, if it wasn't. Have you got a name for the band yet? Yeah, we we're gonna be called Herd. Herd. H E R D H E R D yeah. Like it. Um yeah, there was a band called The Herd back in the 60s, but... Sure. Whatever. I'm sure, yeah, I think you'll be all right. Yeah. yeah, you'll be we'll fine. Be all right. Yeah. Yeah, so... Great, man. Tom, thanks so much for doing this and being with us, man. I've thoroughly enjoyed listening to your stories and looking at your guitars. Thanks, mate. No worries. No, I've really enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Anytime. Thanks, mate. Take care. Cheers. Cheers, mate.